0: My name is Alexa Collier, and on this podcast, I interview those who are early on in their careers. We discuss their successes and accomplishments, their advice and where they're headed on their career paths. With me today is Ricky Levitus. Ricky will be graduating from Brandeis University this upcoming May with a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry. She was a researcher at Brandeis Labs throughout her undergraduate career, and this past February was a business development fellow for a startup in Boston. Ricky has taken on various leadership and entrepreneurial roles, which include president of her sorority and project manager for Park. Through her project manager position, Ricky enabled a product that prevents drug-facilitated sexual assault to be available to students across Brandeis's campus. Welcome Ricky, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, of course. So, let's jump right in. You already ha- had such a fascinating career journey already and you haven't even graduated yet, which is absolutely incredible. So before we dive into your various accomplishments, I'd love to hear a bit more about your major and what opportunities you hope it'll lead you to or already has led you to.
1: I am a biochemistry major at Brandeis University. I started when I first got to Brandeis as a biology major, and I was also actually pre-med then, Um, and after I became an EMT, um, I decided I wasn't going to pursue pre-med anymore. <laughs> and during that same time, I fell in love with organic chemistry and made the decision to change from biology to biochemistry. And when I made that change, my tra- trajectory was then really strictly just bench work. I had PhD aspirations post undergrad. and I knew I really just wanted to be in that biotechnology and pharmaceutical research space. And I liked that a lot more than academic research because of the you know various applications to help people, cure diseases, improve quality of life and things like that. Um, And my major really did help me to better understand the lab work that I was already involved with on campus at the time, and also the uh, pharmaceutical research I ended up pursuing uh, later on after switching my major. Mm -hmm. And additionally, from my major and also from my research experiences, I had the opportunity to present a poster of my research at a handful of both local and national conferences during my junior year. I competed in undergraduate poster competitions, and I was really fortunate to have won or be recognized in the majority of the competitions I competed in, and I really loved this challenge of explaining my research to anyone who approached me, no matter if they, you know, had a scientific background or not, or if their focus and their background was in something completely different than what I was working with. It was really exciting, because Although that might be a difficult challenge to overcome, if you're really creative, you find a way to explain things um, no matter what the background really is of the person. And I came to find that this was really my favorite part of research. And I wanted to find a way to make that a more prevalent day-to-day part of my work because you know, in general with traditional lab work, you're not necessarily presenting as much of the time. So Mm -hmm. I started to really shift my focus uh, to still be in that biotechnology and pharmaceutical industry because it's what I'm so excited about and what I've dedicated so much of my academic career Too, but I'm also now really pursuing more business end roles. You know, within those biotechnology and pharmaceutical companies in their business development departments in house, there's also opportunities to work with consulting firms that Mm -hmm. consult those companies and also uh, financial positions where I would, you know, you could work in equity research or investment banking analyst positions and similarly evaluate those biotechnology, pharmaceutical, and healthcare companies. So it's definitely not necessarily the traditional biochemistry major path, but I've really found it still to be a biochemistry path. My major has still been really vital to those positions. I need to understand the background science of a company I could be working for or for the companies I could be evaluating. And that ends up still being... really core part of the work. And I've also been supplementing my biochemistry major with business and law courses to try to give me a more broad foundation for the work I'll be doing and just independent learning as much as I can. But yeah, I think that it's really a path that still to me is a STEM path and is a biochemistry path, um, just not the most traditional or well-known one. You know, it really better suits my personality and how I work best. I get to combine the science background with the things I found I loved most about presenting my research. And this new trajectory really puts me closer to my longer-term goals of pursuing an MBA and someday having my own startup that's focused on applying science to solving social issues, which is exactly the kind of work I actually got to do this past year as a project manager on campus.
0: Nice, I, I love hearing this part of your journey. It definitely seems like you made the right choice by switching your major to biochemistry being able to compete in, in poster presentations, being able to do research while balancing presenting as well. And I love how you carved your own path through your experience in classes. Was that major change difficult? Was it scary? Interested in hearing how you were feeling when you were deciding to change that major? Because I'm sure that it's probably scary to a lot of others who aren't sure if that change is going to be the right one. And what if they regret it?
1: For me, when I made the decision to go from biology to biochemistry, it actually didn't really change too much from where I was mm-hmm. at at that point in my academic career because the way that it's structured at Brandeis, the biology and biochemistry um, paths are still almost completely parallel up to the point where I had made the switch. So it was actually more about what classes I would enroll in in the future than the classes that I was already taking. I think I only had one class that I took that I didn't end up actually officially needing to take for anything. Mm -hmm. So the change ended up being um, not necessarily so difficult. I was fortunate enough to make the decision to change it. During my sophomore year before I even officially actually declared the biology major, I was, you know, intended to be a bio, a biology major. And then actually when I officially declared became um, a biochemistry major for that part of it, I think it ended up for me being not that difficult. But as far as, you know, making changes in your career and how that's really scary, I think that that's something that, you know, It is scary. I'm not going to say that it's not. I think that when you are faced with, you know, a fork in the road and you need to decide which path you want to pursue, it can be scary because it feels like you're shutting yourself off to the opportunity to maybe pursue the you know, if you had one of two choices, the one you don't choose, maybe you feel like you're losing out on the opportunity for that. But I really like to think that it's not necessarily choosing one path or another. It's just choosing the next step and that there's still so much opportunity for you to change what you might want to do and for what your interests are and what your career goals are to really develop over time. And I think that keeping that in mind can help make some of those, you know, seemingly really overwhelming or scary changes you might make in what you're looking to do seem a little bit less intimidating and a little bit less larger than life.
0: I love how you stated it's not necessarily choosing one path, it's choosing the next step. And that's a theme we've been hearing in these interviews on this podcast is there isn't one path that you need to pursue. There are multiple branches of that path and multiple opportunities. So that that's very well stated. Now, you mentioned your project manager position before. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Tell me about that journey. What's the company you're working with and what product are they selling? And what impact has that had on Brandeis' campus?
1: Yes, of course. I'd love to talk about that. Um, so the company is called the Undercover Colors Company. They have a product that's called SIP Chip, and this can um, this product can detect the most common date rape drugs in over a hundred beverages. So this wow. chip is very impressively accurate and reliable. It works within minutes, and it's about the size of a quarter, if not even a little smaller. And they sell their chips and accessories to easily carry them with you on their website. I ended up coming in contact with their director of marketing, Susie Burry, and we chatted about just what opportunities could exist to make this a campus scale project, um, to have the company partner with offices on campus to distribute the chips to students. And it wasn't something that they'd actually done before, but they had wanted to expand better into the college market. And so I came in and I really wanted Brandeis to be the first place that they would um, work with in that capacity to officially have it on campus. So um, after having worked um, and spoken with the company a little bit about what opportunities they might be able to give Randice or an office at Randice for wholesaling the product, getting it on campus. Um, I went to the Prevention Advocacy and Resource Center. Um, we call that Park on campus um, because I knew that they were the right office for this. I knew that, you know, that's what they work in. This is the work they do. And I knew they would be the place to really make this project happen. And Student Union also was our other main partner. They provided all of the funding that made access to these chips completely free for students. So Student Union, through their emergency fund, we ended up applying for funding for um, this. They have this large amount of money that's set aside. And as a student, you can apply to it throughout the semester for projects that become pressing that you wouldn't have known to budget for ahead of time that would be important for student life, student safety, etc. So that was where the funding for the project ended up coming from. And we were really grateful for that. We had a very large fundraiser set up for the project originally, and Student Union came in with that funding to really bring this above Mm -hmm. and beyond what we originally planned. And then... The mindset that we sort of went into it um, with those two organizations being the lead organizations on the project was that nobody should really have to carry or use this chip to prevent drug-facilitated sexual assault, but we hope to be able to empower students to feel safer and more confident by just having these chips available to them or having them with them or being able to use them, and also just by calling attention to this specific issue that had otherwise gone in my opinion, without as much attention on campus, Um, we better educated the whole campus community on safe practices about this issue and just brought more attention to it to move closer to a culture where that type of behavior wouldn't be tolerated anymore. So that was something that we really tried to emphasize and focus on was that, you know, yeah, we shouldn't have students need these chips. But Mm -hmm. the reality is, is that drug facilitated sexual assault is a problem, you know, across all college campuses. Brandeis is not immune to that problem. um, And it's certainly not. Exclusively a Brandeis problem. This is a problem across the country, across the world, and not just college campuses, too. Um, so, we really tried to take that multifaceted approach to it. Um, we involved a lot of different offices and departments and student groups as much as possible to really get the whole campus involved. We did educational presentations for a lot of different groups so that mm-hmm. they would know how to use the chips to teach other students on campus how to use them. And we ultimately had over 20 on and off campus locations that would have the chips available. Uh, we had all of the, for example, all of the offices in the community living buildings the department of community living's offices had them Um, we actually also we had the intercultural center involved we had the health center involved we had all of the different partner offices Uh, campus's plan b vending machine had the sip chips in them and we also had greek organizations involved Um, in the one weekend we were on campus during the project before covid 19 uh, there was the first large-scale greek life uh, sponsored event where they had sip chips available throughout it so we planned essentially to use the second half of the semester as a model to see how many chips the student body would regularly need, what locations were most effective, and then to build the project from there. And unfortunately, COVID-19 interrupted this, Mm -hmm. along with everything else in the world, it was interrupted after completing exactly one week of having the chips on campus. So we got that week done. And that was when um, we started to get the news of, uh, basically, and everyone got sent home. And in that one week, though, we actually came close to running out of our initial order. Wow. Um, Yeah, so we expected that order to last us the rest of the semester at the very least, if not beyond. And in that first week, we came close to having none left.
0: You know, there isn't,
1: you asked about the impact on campus, there's not necessarily... quantitative way right now to necessarily measure you know the efficacy of the chips and actually preventing drug facilitated sexual assault or exactly how many students used them and things like that but that is something we're hoping to be able to see more long term on the next campus climate survey what we do know is that students on campus responded in a volume that really truly none of us predicted um just given how many chips were picked up in the first week really shows the campus's need for something like this, that this was something that people felt like they needed, that this was an issue that they cared about and wanted to have something that they could do. Of course, you know, anecdotally, we've seen um, both through a survey through Student Union and just generally responses from students that this was something that really mattered to them. And also, it's been really nice in the past couple of weeks, actually, um, for the work I did on this project, the Dean of Students Office um, gave me um, one of their student life awards um, for social consciousness and activism. And the Prevention Advocacy and Resource Center Park awarded me their student partner award for the work on this project. So some, you know, tangible representations of the impact that on the larger campus scale that this project had in what was really just only a week. And this really has been, you know, just one of the most rewarding things I've ever gotten to work on. I think it's a good example of what I'd hopefully like to be doing my long-term um, in my long-term career of just taking this, you know these chips were made by students, you know, in a laboratory, and they came up with the concept of applying, you know, certain different biochemical processes to the chip to be able to detect these date rape drugs. And that's the type of applications of science that I'd ultimately really like to be going into with my career. So it was really meaningful for me to get to work with an organization like the one that, you know, inspires my career path. And also just, I feel really grateful to have been able to make this make this concept a reality on campus and really fortunate to have worked with such incredible people on the project to work with Sarah, who's the director of PARC, uh, to work with the Undercover Colors team, and also to work with um, Simran, the student union president. It's just been a great experience, this whole project all around.
0: Wow. I mean, what an experience. I am blown away. You had such success and congrats on those uh, awards that you were given as well. That's amazing. Just an incredible experience from having to get funding, understanding your vision and spreading it, understanding how you can help your peers and the students on campus, partnering with departments on campus, getting into user testing, as you were mentioning, absolutely incredible experience. And this is a a side project for you as well. You also have classes in school going on. Amazing. How did you first become in contact with Undercover Colors? Was it through your network or did someone introduce you to them?
1: Uh, So actually, I just, um, I follow their social media pages and I saw them, um, they posted on Facebook, hey, community, is there any, you know, anyone who we're not reaching well enough with our product right now? And I ended up responding in a message, um, not much of a public Facebook commenter, I guess myself, but I responded to their page and just said, hey, as a college student, I think that there's not as much awareness of this product amongst my peers. And I'm wondering what you're doing with that market. That was when essentially the director of marketing responded, and was like, "Hey, let's chat. I'd love to talk about that. That's something we're interested in," and it really just took off from there. Uh, I don't think I ever expected when I messaged um, their Facebook page that that would sort of be what, like, that this would all happen, that it would lead to all of this. But I think it just shows you the power in just reaching out to someone or an organization that you have aligned values with, and just seeing what happens, and that you never really know what'll come of the connection that you make.
0: Right, that is, yes, you are living proof that it Uh never hurts to reach out, right? Worst comes the worst, they don't answer or say no, and okay, fine. (laughs) Wow, that's very, very inspiring and a very well-told journey. I enjoyed, really enjoyed listening to that. Would like to dive into another amazing experience you've had, which was working as a business development fellow for a Boston biotech startup company. What was that like working in that fast-paced environment? Was it a fast-paced environment? And how did it differ from your research position at Brandeis Labs?
1: Working in business development um is very different from lab work, even though at the core they're both about, you know, the same scientific knowledge and understanding. I'd say that lab work is 75% of your time working at the bench, 20% of your time going through your data on the computer. And if you're lucky, 5% of the time you're presenting your actual work. Business development, it's more like 80% of your time you're doing research, but on companies, scientific platforms, things like that on your computer. And then you spend about 20% of the time collaborating with your team, presenting your findings, and also presenting that information in a way that people with a solely business-facing you know, background would also find useful, and that's not always an easy task. Um, I'd say both are fast-paced, but in a different way. Any work that you do at a startup um, is going to be really fast-paced. If you don't move fast with a startup, you, know, you miss out on opportunities, you might quickly run out of funding, so startups really provide an environment truly unlike any other. I personally really loved it, um, but I also know that it is not for everyone it's really different in the sense that there's not a rigid corporate structure. Your job description is very fluid. You know, if the whole team of a total of 10 people is working on something, even if it's not necessarily exactly what your job is, you're still probably going to be helping out with whatever that something is, because that's how the team functions at that level. And everyone really just pools together to meet the goals in a laboratory setting, especially in a larger pharmaceutical laboratory setting, um, it's very different. There's deadlines to meet, and that makes it fast-paced in general. Um, Drug development takes a long time. It takes many, many years total. So any time that the process can be sped up, especially in the preclinical stages, the better, right? So you want to speed it up. You feel that sense of urgency, um, but just in a slightly different way. You know, the urgency is motivated by something different. And the larger companies also, they have a more rigid corporate structure. So you really are more so focused on your designated responsibilities. You might be working somewhere with... 500 people just at the campus you work at, whereas with a startup company, you might be working with a total of 10 people at the entire company when it's in its startup stage. Um, Startups are also really risky um, in the sense that many of them really won't make it to their, even to their seed funding or series A funding rounds. Um, Unfortunately, the startup that I was working with decided to cease their development. So just an example of the reality of that, but it really was a fantastic experience that I was really grateful to have had. Um, I had responsibilities, you know, ranging from collaborating over how their slide deck would be organized and what their logo could look like, all the way to you know generating competitive intelligence data and, and implementing that into the presentations that would be for potential investors. So I got a wide range of experience in the time that I was there. And I'm really grateful for that because it's something that has helped me as I now go to look for full-time opportunities after I graduate in that same field.
0: I really appreciate your explanation and firsthand experience on business development role versus pure research role and startup setting versus lab setting. I think that's very informative for others who may be considering, you know, whether or not they want to be in a lab all day or see what a startup environment's like, uh, what type of position best suits them. Now, you're very involved at your university, besides what we've already talked about, which is incredible enough, throughout your four years at Brandeis, you've been an on-campus EMT, president of your sorority, and heavily involved in the admissions department. Now, would you recommend others be just as involved on their campuses, and why or why not?
1: Not just because it's what I did. Um, (laughs) I would recommend being involved to others, um, for sure. I think that if there's something that you're passionate about or you're interested in, then you should really be pursuing it, whether it be as a general member or through a leadership position. I just think that college is such a unique time to explore your options and enjoy the things that you love. And if you're not sure if you'll really like a club or not, you could always try it and choose to never really participate again. Um, You'll never have the same chance to explore the way that you do in college any other time in your life. And so that's why I really recommend taking advantage of it um, and being open to new possibilities. I really think half, if not almost all at this point of the things that I've been involved in during my time in college, I would have probably sworn to you like, oh, I'll, I'll never that doesn't sound like me. That's not something I would do um, if you asked me when I was in high school. And I sort of think that's the point, right, is trying those new things and exploring your options and finding new passions. Um, I'd also say not to be afraid of being, you know, too busy. Um, I always had a lot on my plate during my undergraduate years, and I didn't ever really look at it even as being busy, or I didn't really also look at being busy as such a bad thing. I really loved everything that I was involved in. So it wasn't a drag to go to the next meeting or the next activity. I really was excited about everything I was doing, so it didn't feel busy. It just felt like, wow, I have an action-packed, exciting day today. I really would just naturally look forward to working on projects that I was invested in, and I'd be excited to go to events or meetings that I thought were going to be fun or you know, impactful. I also, I swear, I've also had a lot of free time during college too with mm-hmm. everything else I, I have. And I think the other thing I would really want to highlight is the value in holding leadership positions if you're interested in them. Um, a lot of the extracurriculars that I was involved with, I joined sometime you know, in my first year or so on campus and I worked my way up into leadership positions in almost all of them. And I think really holding a leadership position in any group you're passionate about is just such an important learning experience. Leading amongst your peers builds character like nothing else and you really do learn a lot about yourself when you take on responsibility for others. Those are the moments I think I grew the most at Brandeis. And those are the experiences that I really think make me who I am now. You gain these important skill sets and you have this personal development from those leadership positions, you know, in student-run organizations or the leadership positions I've had in the admissions department, which is not a student-run organization necessarily, but an on-campus opportunity. So I definitely really would say, you know being as involved as you're comfortable with is is an opportunity that you won't ever have again after college. So it's certainly worth pursuing. And those leadership positions can really be where you grow and learn the most.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. I love how you said explore your options because college is such a unique time in your life. You may join five clubs and drop three of them but and pursue the two that you love and you're not signing a contract when you pursue opportunities in college right you can definitely explore those options and figure out what you love the most which is definitely a unique experience and unique time of your life speaking of busy being a good thing i'd love to know what are your top three best practices for balancing work and life balancing
1: work and life is it's hard And it's hard because it's not always so clear cut what counts as work and what counts as life. I think especially as an undergraduate student, um, it all sort of blends together. Um, So one thing that I think I've done almost unknowingly is that I have these sort of like weekly check-in moments. It's more that I have a time each week, usually sometimes Sunday evening where I'm like, okay, let's look at what this week has in store. What do I need to be planning for this week? And that's sort of also an opportunity to just check in with myself. Um, I found, especially as an undergraduate student, that your schedule isn't really ever truly regular week to week, one week, might just inevitably be be a lot heavier with work or with school work really at that time Um, because of let's say you have finals that week for example whereas another week you might have you know it might be the first week of classes you have no work and you have all other commitments and that you know lack of repeatability in your weeks can be a little overwhelming and make it harder to manage so the idea of the weekly check-in is that you know you might be able to say to yourself this last week you know, maybe I had a lot more schoolwork than other things. And so this coming week, I'd like to focus on some other things that weren't as balanced in the week before. Um, and it helps, you know, instead of having expecting some intra week balance from yourself, you can sort of just expect a more overall balance. So I definitely think that's the first thing is just to not expect too much perfect balance from yourself as an undergraduate when you lack the control of your schedule to even really have that be a reality, anyways. Um, and I think the second thing is to know how to ask for help um, when you're trying to just balance your life and being busy in general. So it seems pretty obvious there's no shame in asking for help, but it's a lot easier said than actually internalized. Mm-hmm. And it's actually really, I think, a good thing to ask for help. And it reflects a lot more positive character traits than just doing everything yourself and never asking for help does. Um, And the key to asking help when you need it, I found is to also really learn from that help. So maybe I don't know the best way to run a certain program or to get a certain task done. But I know somebody else who does that all the time. And I might reach out and say, Hey, I have so much going on right now. Like, could you help me make this thing? I'd love to learn about how you do it. Because then not only am I getting some help from someone, and they're going to help me accomplish my goals for the week, the day, etc. But I'll learn something new from that. So asking for help isn't just asking for help. It can be a great learning opportunity, too. Um, And you'll ultimately just build your own skill set from that. And then I think if the third thing um, has to be self-care, you know, there's work, there's life, and there just has to be this separate self-care category. There's probably more categories than just work and life, but there needs to really be that designated self-care time. The things that fall into your quote unquote, like life category aren't actually always the calming things. To counteract the you know stressful quote unquote work things or vice versa you know both work and life can be stressful at times and that's why that you know separate category of taking care of yourself can be so important and I found that you know taking care of yourself just means doing something that relieves your stress or just doesn't even sometimes just something that doesn't produce stress maybe you don't even have to have such a high expectation of oh you know I'm gonna watch a movie and take some time with my friends to just watch a movie and relax and that's going to somehow eliminate all of my stress. Maybe it's not even about eliminating the stress and it's more just about finding something to do that doesn't create new stress. Um, and that can really just be anything that you want. I think for me, it often means doing something that's the opposite of what has stressed me out. Um, just because that helps me to feel that balance a little more, but really just taking care of yourself can be doing nothing too. It could be just whatever is going to help you not be stressed for some time in your day when things are really hectic.
0: Excellent three pieces of advice. I really resonate specifically with the weekly check ins and self care because for the weekly check ins, I used to think, okay, it's the weekend. I'm going to completely ignore work until Monday morning. What happened was I would enter Monday morning completely frantic, like, what the heck do I have going on this week? And I would have to take, you know, 30 minutes to an hour just to realign myself and prepare myself for the work week. So, what I've been trying to practice is okay, Sunday night, just quickly think about the week ahead. What do you have to do? What time do you have? And that lets me walk into Monday much calmer. So that's a great reminder for me to continue with those weekly check-ins. And for self-care, I found myself in our current state of our world having much more time for self-care and it's really, really helped me. So I'm really looking forward to continuing that and continuing to find that balance of self-care as our, our world starts to get back to quote unquote normal. But I really appreciate those three pieces of advice. Very, very good. So I know where you're at today isn't your final destination. Uh, You're graduating so soon, which is so exciting. And you've mentioned your passion for business development, and perhaps that's the the path you're going to pursue after graduation. would love to know more about your next steps and specifically what tools and resources have been helping you figure out what's next for you.
1: Figuring out what's next is... um... It's a very unique situation right now. Um, if you ask me, oh, what's next? It, on February 1st, I'd have a different, probably a very similar answer of what I'd like to be next, but mm-hmm. a different approach than I do now. Things are, you know quite unprecedented with everything with COVID-19. So as far as what I'm looking to do next, I'm pretty open as long as I'm moving in the direction I'd like to with my career path. And I'm combining that science background with the newer business experience. And as it turns out, um, there's actually a lot of different roles. Um, Like I'd mentioned, you know, business development in-house with companies, there's consulting opportunities, there's financial analyst positions. So there's a lot of different opportunities that ultimately I'm open to as um, we go through this quarantine process and as hiring starts to unfreeze places, um, there's really a lot of different ways that what might happen might go. And I think that just open-mindedness has been really important as I've explored some of these different options. A year ago, I probably wouldn't have even known some of those positions existed or that those were jobs that I could have been doing. And I think that really just doing as much research about the job market and learning about what, you know, different career paths people who study what you studied end up doing, I think that that's something that everybody can be doing no matter where you're at in your college or career timeline during COVID. I think it's a great opportunity to just sort of evaluate options. As far as tools to make it happen, you know, if networking was everything before, it is all we have now. (laughs) Um, And it's just so important to be building your network throughout your time in undergraduate um, so that you have that foundation for when you graduate. Um, and I really I know networking feels, you know, like if you're new to networking, it might feel like this forced, awkward professional socializing. Um, but it really does get easier as you go. And you a hundred percent get out what you put into your network. So Um, That's something I think also that can be quite rewarding about networking. You know, if you're putting in time and effort to make connections, those connections will reward you with opportunities. Um, And my network has really helped me to connect with people and find opportunities I otherwise never really could have. And I'm relying on that network now in the wake of COVID-19 more than ever. Um, As far as tools to facilitate professional networking, obviously LinkedIn is at the top of the list. I've been active on LinkedIn since my sophomore year. Um, I remember when I was first making a profile, I was very intimidated by it. I just just felt like I wasn't old enough yet to have a LinkedIn. Mm. I know it sounds sort of silly now, but at that time, I guess three years ago when I was working on that, two and a half years ago... I wasn't sure. I was like, Oh, is it too early? But it's never too early. It really is great to start earlier because you it allows you to connect with people and then stay connected with them as you go. Instead of creating a LinkedIn a little bit too late in the game and retroactively having to go back and connect with people that you met too long ago, that might not be as successful. So even if you are thinking, if you're listening, you're thinking, Oh, I don't know. I'm too early in my career or my college timeline to really have a LinkedIn. Like, I don't think there really is a too early. Um, there's really only a too late. And additionally, um, there isn't just LinkedIn, you know, there's other sites and softwares that function similarly. And I'd say that, especially if your school is using one of those, um, I'd really recommend also using it. So for example, Brandeis and their Hyatt Career Center, they use a program called Handshake. It works very similarly, similarly to LinkedIn. You have a profile, there are job postings, you can connect with people. But I'll see different opportunities posted there than on LinkedIn and vice versa. So I really wouldn't count out those secondary sites either. There can be other things waiting for you there that you might not find on LinkedIn alone. Um, and obviously, you know, some of the best opportunities for networking um, that I've had have been at conferences. And unfortunately, that's not really an option for the foreseeable future. But when the time does come that those larger scale in-person events can resume, I just, I highly recommend taking advantage of them. Many conferences will actually offer reduced or free admission for students um, as well. So if you are an undergraduate student, um, these opportunities are even more so available to you. And nothing beats making those in-person connections. And everybody who attends the conferences and events, they're there with that same intention to network and connect and learn from each other. And that makes it a lot less intimidating to approach people because you know that they're there to talk with you. It's not like, oh, you don't have to feel like you're catching someone off guard when they didn't want to have a conversation with you or didn't want to network. You know you know that they're there for that purpose. And some of the conferences I've attended have these designated networking sessions where the conference organizers will actually Help facilitate the networking and the conversations, and will be like networking speed dating events and things like that, and that makes it even less awkward or intimidating. You know, you're you are literally in that room to meet the people there and network with them. I think that that is obviously, you know, that is the primary best networking tool that you could really have is those in-person events, and in the meantime. Any virtual events like that that might be happening um, are always great. And obviously, LinkedIn is serving now not as our you know social media version of networking, but as our main source of networking for this time.
0: Again, really well stated advice that I completely agree with. Networking is so important that and that's also led me to many of my opportunities, if not all of them. And I really love your message of it's good to be open because you never know what opportunities may come to you. But also being intentional with that openness, whether that's through research or being intentional with your network, it is a balance there. And it really seems like you found that which is, again, inspiring and wonderful, wonderful advice. My final question here for you today is what is your proudest accomplishment? Now, this can be big, it can be small, related to work, related not to work, can be from 10 years ago or from yesterday. What is your proudest accomplishment?
1: I think I definitely would have to say the sip chip project that we talked about earlier. It really is the largest scale endeavor of any kind that I have taken on, and I did so as the lead manager of the project. So it really was the most challenging thing um, that I have taken on and organized, but also the most rewarding thing that I've really ever done. And it is certainly my proudest accomplishment, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where it'll go in the future and what'll happen next with the foundation we've laid with it.
0: Your story and journey thus far is so incredibly inspiring, and I'm so excited to see what you do in the future, as I know, it'll be incredible. It's just absolutely inspiring the experience you've already had. It's incredible. Thank you. So before we sign off, I'd love to know where can people find more about you or get in contact with you?
1: I definitely say you could find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I always have my phone with me at this point, because where else am I? Um, So if you'd like to reach out, um, if you have any questions, if you're, you know, looking to pursue a career in science that might not be as traditional, or really just if you want to talk about anything career related or about anything I'd said, I'd be happy to chat and you can just search my name on LinkedIn. I'll come right up.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Ricky, and taking the time to speak with me about your incredible journey. Thank you so much for having me.